All right, amen. Part of the chapter I would like to focus on it is in verse 10. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment. The title of my message is labor, right? Labor. Now, it's 2021, and if you don't get the hint by the title, it's time to get to work, you know? It's time for us to start achieving our goals. And obviously, I was working on my resolutions December 20th. I usually work on mine around Christmas. So I think it was the 25th. And I was measuring, all right, did I do all my goals this year? And I'm pretty disappointed in myself because I, I have a scale of what I do. And I only got to 70% of my goals completed. So it's like, man, I got a lot of work to do. I, I didn't meet all my goals. And so I wanted to kind of motivate us to do better than what we did last year. And I figured, what better way to do that than to preach... You know, what does the Bible have to say about work, working hard, being diligent? So if you would go to Genesis chapter two and Hebrews chapter one, I just want to read there. You know, this is all entire Bible, biblical concept from Genesis to Revelation. You find this concept of God's works, what God has wrought and our work that we have wrought. But in Genesis chapter two, just kind of lay the foundation. This is basically a topical sermon on the doctrine of work. You know, what does the Bible have to teach us about labor, working hard? Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. I like how it says how God created and made. It's like, aren't those the same thing? But he says it over and over again. He said, which he had made, which he had made, which he had created and made. And one of the key points, just introduction-wise, I want to take away is that some, if you want to say sub-points, is that our work, our work ought to produce something. It ought to produce results. All right, if you're working and you're not seeing any results, you're not working. All right? And that's how I felt. You see, I, 70% of my goals completed. It's like, I haven't been working hard enough. Yeah, what if I had 0%? Did I do any work? No. I have not produced anything. And when God works, he's producing something. He's creating something. And he made, of course, the world. In Genesis chapter 2, 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So we see that, only, that not only does work produce, but work also maintains something, right? You have something that you're making, something that you're building, and you're adding structure to it. You want to keep it in order. There's a scientific concept known as entropy. Things naturally tend to disorder and chaos. And God made it that way. God makes a garden. You know, it's going to grow. It's going to get out of shape. And he brings man into the garden and says, I want you to maintain this. I want you to keep this in order. Why? Because it tends to decay. That works with everything. That's why work exists, because things are in disorder. When God came, what was it? What was it? It was just chaos. There was nothing. His spirit moved upon the face of the waters and he said, let there be light. He brought order to chaos. And that's what work does. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, the Bible says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So not only do we see that work produces and we see that work maintains, but work has a purpose. God had the purpose of making his work good. He wanted to do a good Job. And not only does that say that, it also says that the system by which God made to feed ourselves is very good. There's a lot of people today that hate work. They don't want to go to work. They just want everything handed to them. 
but I want to just kind of go through the Bible and see why work is a blessing. When Adam was cursed, he, his curse wasn't hard work. His curse was his, his, his work became harder, became more difficult. Like when Eve was cursed, her curse wasn't, oh, you have to bear children. It's no, it's harder now to bear children. Adam was already going to be working. Even in Revelation, I think it's 22, it talks about how in verse 3, I think it says, his servants will serve him. And we're in heaven, right? We're going to be working forever. Work is not evil. Work is good. Like child rearing is not evil. It's good. God cursed the method by which we have to labor. He cursed the method by which we give birth. Everything God made is good. If you would go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22, I'll read for you Deuteronomy 16. The Bible says, Seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God, and the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase, in all the works of thine hands. Therefore thou shalt surely rejoice. God says, I want you to rejoice in your works. I don't want you to go to the job grumpy. You know, I don't want you to go to the job and you're hungover. Okay? I want you to come here and I want you to rejoice. I want you to have joy in what you're doing. I want you to be a cheerful mother of children if you're raising children. I want you to be a, a cheerful electrician or a cheerful car washman or Best Buy employee. Give me those discounts. You know, I want you to be happy when you go to work. You're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says in verse 22, Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works. For that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him. So rejoicing in our works is a portion of our works. You know, we ought to be happy at what we do. Now notice I did not say find your purpose. Because we're going to see later on what the purpose of work is, right? You're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Look at verse 19. It says, Every man also, to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. It says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Right? So he says, if you're going to do something, you better do it with your might. You better do it exceedingly abundantly and above all that we ask and think. He wants you to devote yourself to this concept. And in Colossians 3.23, it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but why not just touch on this now? The purpose of work, God says, is to feed yourself. If you don't work, you don't eat. Right? You shall not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And God says... When you work, you ought to do it heartily. So this whole idea of I need to find my passion, it's like, we're going to see how this plays out in the scripture. This is kind of giving you the seeds, you know, to keep you listening. All right. So go, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. So the first point I want to make is that the system by which God created, by which we feed ourselves, is very good. And it's good. We should rejoice in it. We shouldn't be grumpy. We should be diligent. We ought to want to work. We ought to want to make something, produce something with our lives. We ought to have purpose with our lives. And that purpose, a lot of that comes with the work we decide to do. And we ought to rejoice in that effort. And then the second part I want to make is that work, according to the Bible, is used to support the weak. Now, this is something that's kind of alien. This doesn't really get touched on a lot. But in Acts chapter 20, look at verse 35. It says, I have shewed you all things, how that so laboring, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, when I read that verse, it made sense because in this day and age, we don't really have the struggle of the fatherless and the widow in their sins. 
But in their sense, if you were a fatherless child or a widow, you didn't have a man and you had to work. So by working, you're supporting the weak by obviously giving alms to these people. You're charing, you know, charitous acts, caring for them. But that still translates to us today in the New Testament. We ought to give our, like a lot of people, like, they have, like I know Barry Baptist Church, for example, they have a clothes closet where, you know, they have any extra clothes, they put clothes in a closet and they give that to the homeless. I know Faithful Word Baptist Church has a table when we walk inside. There's a table I remember set up and they put bread there and they give it to the homeless people or, or, or anything. I, mean, I don't even know if it's just bread, it's all types of food. There's all types of different church ministries, you know, there's food drives and things like that. But basically people save up their fruits to give and support the weak and the people in the church that need it. Obviously, you know, people who are sick, we send money and things like that. And that is a, a good, you know, attribute of work that God says. We ought to work to support the weak. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Right? This is where we ought to be charitous with our efforts, right? God says, I want the people that work, the people that are doing well, the people that are prospering, to support the people that can't work, right? Not the guy on the side of the street who's holding up a sign, who's able-bodied. He can work, right? right? The people that cannot work are people who are obviously disabled, people who are obviously, you know, they have a mental condition, people who are probably just misfortunate, you know, or, or someone who's preaching the Bible and they get fired or something from a job or something. It's like... You know, obviously you're a good worker, you're just serving God, and you know, this happened to you. And with our work, with our efforts, we ought not be stingy with our fruits. The Bible says the liberal soul shall be made fat. It says withhold not corn from the, from the people. It says, it says in Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, it says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. And this makes me think of Rehoboam, King Rehoboam. Because if you remember, when he came to the throne, who was he looking to please? Himself. Because the wise men told him, if you're a servant to these people, if you speak kind words to them, you know, they'll be your servants forever. And then he goes to the young men to get counsel, and they're like, no, 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 no. You need to be oppressive. You need to look to please yourself. And he goes to the people and says, my little finger will be thicker than my father's loins. And they're like, you know, screw you. We're going to go somewhere else. And they stone the tax collector that he sends to them. And there's a man the kingdom split. There you have it. It's like Rehoboam didn't have a happy reign because he was selfish. You know, he wasn't going into his kingdom, into his kingship, looking to be a blessing to his people. He wanted to have everything for himself. That's what a tyrant is. A tyrant is someone who wants to base his reign on fear. He wants to take what you have and enrich himself and go live off in the movies or something. God wants us to be active. And what is a ray of bone today? You know, what is someone who looks after their own needs and doesn't care about, you know, you know, the people that are around them? They're just working to please themselves or they're probably not working at all. This is what I relate that to. I relate that to what it says in 1 Timothy 5.8 where it says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and his worth in an infidel. I mean, talk about supporting the weak. Your family is weak. I mean, especially if you look at the historical context. Even today, I mean, I think one of us preached on this about basically how fathers are they're absent. And I think it was me, actually. Our fathers are absent. <laughs> our fathers are absent. And basically, you know, they're not there for their families. And they're obviously the families left in a weak condition. They're in a weak state. 
And that's a double violation of God's law. You're not working, and you're not supporting the weak, and you're a lazy bum, and you're worse than an infidel. It's like God just can't handle that. It's like, but I'm not going to preach on that. I already preached on that already, already, apparently. So that's my second point. My second point is that we need to work to support the weak. My third point is where it really takes off. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. I noticed in my notes I wrote Thessalonians. I didn't write first or second, so I'm going to assume it's first. I'll turn there with you to verify. Yeah, it's uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 11, it says, And that you study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. My third point, my last point, and this is where I really want to focus on for a good chunk of the sermon, is you need to work with your own hands. Now, we read over that, you know. We just think, okay, go to work. But notice it says, with your own hands. This handles so many other things. Usury is out of the question now. Because usury is working with someone else's hands. You're getting rich off of someone else's riches, off of someone else's effort. So usury is out of the question. And working with your own hands, what is he telling you to do? He's telling you to own your work. It reminds me of the laying on of hands. You know, what you touch, that's what you're identifying with. And when he says work with your own hands, you know, God touched the world. He made the world, he fashioned it, he made it according to his ability. And when we go to work, when we apply our efforts to something, we ought to own up to our work. The Bible says, commit thy works into the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. We ought to commit our works to God. You know, whatsoever we do should be done heartily to the Lord and we need to take ownership of our work, right? And why should we do this? What's the point of doing this? He tells us, he says that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that she may have lack of nothing. So God is saying, you go to work, and you do a good job, and you own your work, you're not going to lack anything, and you're going to have an honest living. right? So that tells me, if you don't own your work, if you don't care about how, the quality of your work, how good of a job you do, you may not have a job, you may not be employed, and it may cause you to walk dishonestly. If you cannot work, it will cause you to walk dishonestly. What are you talking about, Gabriel? Well, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how it says in, where is it at? <clears throat> oh yeah, we just read it. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good. So the opposite of working hard, God contrasts that to stealing. You can't have an honest life if you're stealing people. Right? The government does it, doesn't mean it's right. All right. And God says, if you're going to have an honest life, you need to be working. And here's another point I want, to, I want to get to, still going on with that working with your own hands. You know, obviously today we live in a society where work isn't as arduous physically as it was in the past. Work is more of an, a mental strain, but this still applies. But work is work, you know. And labor should not feel idle, right? Working with your own hands. Pain is necessary for your character growth. You forget that when God made the world, when he made labor, happening when, when he made the whole system happen when he was working god had to rest he was exerting himself he was making himself do something he was breaking a sweat in a sense he was afflicting himself work is painful 
Work is arduous. Work is something hard that we have to do. So what happens when you take the pain out of labor? When you make it idle, when you make it easy, when you make it a breeze? Well, you may end up feeling unaccomplished. You may end up going home feeling purposeless and aimless. You see, this is a whole theory, a whole sermon in and of itself, but the purpose of your life is not involved entirely in your work. The purpose of work is for you to eat. The Bible says, you know, a man's appetite will cause, I'm paraphrasing, but a man's appetite will cause him to work, right? People want to find meaning in their work. Like they want to spiritualize, you know, I got to find the right thing to do with the rest of my life and I don't find it and I'm just, I'm not going to be happy. What God is saying, whatever you do, you shouldn't focus on finding the right thing to do. What you are doing, do a good job at it. That's the right attitude to have. Instead of trying to figure out, you know, you know, what's my personality like? Do I like to be inside or outside? You know, what do I want to major in or something? Instead of doing all that, you need to focus, hey, devote yourself to something and try to be good at it. If you become, if you become so good where you're the smartest person in the room, well, get a different room. Find another challenge. That ought to be our goal is to challenge ourselves. We have people who are trying to find different, trying to basically change the purpose of work into it being their passion, their happiness. Well, God didn't make it that way. God said the purpose of your work is so you can eat, so you can survive, right? And this happens with everything. You can, like, for example, with medicine, when you try to make the purpose of medicine separate from healing the person, when you make it about money, then you can start getting all of these chemicals and stuff out of your medding to make it cheaper to sell to people and stuff like that. You change the purpose of medicine, the focus isn't on the patient, it's on the profit. This obviously happens, of course, with, with marriage or even with child rearing, with childbirth, with the the God, the act that God made between men and women. The purpose of that act is to produce children. When you make it about pleasure, well, then you can dissociate it from its purpose. Now everyone can do it. Now we have a sodomy problem. It's like you can't just take what God made and just rip it from its purpose and just add your own stuff to it. It's like the purpose of work is so you can eat. So that means if you find someone on the street and like we had, we all know him, the shag we had, we try to get him a job, try to get him going. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you like it, you have to eat. All right. It's not, it's not, you're not trying to, to become, you know, a celebrity at your job or something. Go there, do a good job so you can go home and eat. I mean, we're forgetting that, you know, this is what God has designed. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. But we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, and count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So this, these couple of verses say a lot. It tells us that God says you should die of starvation if you don't work. It also tells us not working with your hand causes you to walk disorderly. Here's something else that says not working actually gets you kicked out of church. He tells them, Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Right? If you're a lazy individual, you sh God says, I don't want you in my flock. You know, in the Bible, if you read through the law, the first time someone is filled with the Spirit, where it says that mentioned in the Bible, is actually Bezalel, the son of Uri. He's the guy who God fills with the Spirit of wisdom to do what? To work. He's the guy who's basically doing all the embroidery and engraving for the temple. And that's the first time that phrase is found, when he's filled with the Spirit. It's Bezalel, the son of Uri. 
God has called us to work. God wants us to work. He wants us to do something with our lives. You know, start a family, get a job, start a company, employ people. Do something with your life. Your life isn't meant to be lived on a street corner. That's not what God's plan for you is, right? In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, we're almost two-thirds to where these people were, where it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister, Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. If you want to find a better way to destroy someone's life, just find someone who's living like this. They're prideful. And it's always, it's always funny to me how the people who don't work, who aren't producing anything in life, they're so prideful. Like, it reminds me, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. It's weird. It's like the people who don't achieve anything in life, they want to tell you about how wrong you are. It's like, do you pay any bills? Do you have a family? Like, like you've cut off every person you know. You've just damaged every relationship. And you're strung over, you're alone, and you want to lecture me about life and how, you know, the man's out to get you or whatever. Like, that's why you can't get ahead. It's like, no, dude, you're lazy. You need to get a job. That's how you need to get helped. All right, don't lecture me about <sighs> trying, to, trying to father me. <laughs> like, I don't need your advice, dude. I'm not going to tell you when this happened. But go back to Genesis chapter 3. But still speaking on that, I didn't really touch on that. I got on the guy who was talking to me. But pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. You know, if you want a, a sure-found way to destroy someone's life, just give them everything they want for free. It's not the way it goes. But you're in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 16. This is really cool. I was kind of reading my Bible through and I found this. It says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. <clears throat> and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression Notwithstanding, oh wait, I'm reading the wrong verse. Here in I have to turn to Genesis chapter three with you. See, I'm, I, I print my verses out so I can just read everything and tell you where to turn. So it saves me time, making me work tonight, people. Genesis chapter three, look at verse sixteen. Famous Genesis three sixteen passage. Where it reads unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall they bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So this is obviously where God goes off on both of them and basically curses them. And I was reading before 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. You don't have to turn there. But in this passage in Genesis, we obviously know what happened here. You know, Adam messed up and blamed Eve, then God punished them both. And in 1 Timothy, it tells us something interesting. It says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And I always thought, what does that mean? She shall be saved with childbearing. Because obviously, 
it's not talking about spiritual salvation because I don't know, but every woman who has a child, every Amish person with a big family isn't saved. It's like, that's not what that's talking about. What is this talking about? This is what I believe this is talking about. If you would, keep your place in Genesis chapter 3 and go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Because this all ties together because obviously men and women work. So in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. This is kind of like a Bible study night. It's more teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible reads, But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith, and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. This is the passage that I believe defines what Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says that if the younger widows are not married, they have damnation because they have cast off their first faith and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house and busybodies. And then he says, as a solution to this, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. And he says, for some have already turned aside after Satan. So what he's saying is, the reason why women are turning aside after Satan is because they're not bearing children, they're not guiding the house, they're being idle. And so when he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about how Adam was first formed in Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing. I believe that this is what this is talking about, she'll be saved from this having the damnation in themselves because they're idle, because they have nothing to do, because they're wandering about from house to house being busybodies. And God says, as a solution to that, I want you to get married and bear children. And that correlates to what God told the man, because let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good. Because I don't know anything about being a mom, but I do know this, there's this plague of the housewives who don't do anything. They basically are on Facebook all day. It's like the guy comes home, he's like, where's the dinner at? It's like, I don't know. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> but, but I apparently hear this is a problem. And, you know, ladies, you need, if you're a housewife, you need to work. You know, you need to be busy. You need to have those children, you know. Obviously, God opens the womb, but there's other things you can do. Don't be idle. You know, but I've heard it said the idols, an idle mind is a devil's workshop. And just as God tells women this, just as childbearing applies to saving women from this damnation, Working, going to work and working hard applies to men. If you're not working hard, if you're not giving yourself at your job, well, you may have damnation in yourself. You may end up being a busy's body and you may end up turning aside after Satan. So the same thing applies both ways. So we need to make sure that we're working hard and we're working with purpose. Especially this too. I mean, bearing a child is beautiful. It's something like, talk about work producing something. I mean, you're bringing life into the world. And one thing I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, when I die, what am I going to leave behind? Like, what am I doing with my life, you know? I was talking to my brother about this. It's like, yeah, I go to work, I get up, I go to church, and it becomes repetitive. And it's like, what's the bigger picture here? What's the end goal, you know? Because obviously, I don't want to get to the end of my life and 
I paid my bills. I raised kids, you know. I'm not belittling that. But it's like Paul did something. He did something great. You know, he started churches. He did ministry. And I, I read the Bible and I read about Joshua conquering lands. I read about Abraham having faith. I read about Moses leading the people out. And God wants me to follow these people's example. Jesus was alive. He was, he's on, he's what, 30 some years old. And Pastor talked about this morning about how he couldn't stop. He had such compassion on the people. He was moved with compassion. And he had no much, he had no leisure so much as to eat. They even came to him and said, thou art beside thyself because he couldn't stop working. He said, thou art mad. And when they came to him, when he was sitting down with the Samaritan woman, and they said, here's food. And he's like, I have meat to eat that she know not of. And he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. It's like when you take someone who has no purpose in life, a lot of that can be solved with just getting them employed. It's no psychiatric issue. It's no, let's call you, why are you like this? A lot of the problem is you're just not working. You don't have anything in your life that you're trying to build. You have nowhere you're going in life. And God says, you know what? When he created the world, he already had a revelation in mind. He had something in mind when he created the world. And guess what? When you go to work, you know, it may be something like sweeping the floor or it may be designing a building. But no matter what you do, know this, there is a purpose and you're doing it unto the Lord. That's the bigger picture. When you raise those kids, you're raising them unto the Lord. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, ladies. Everything we do has purpose. And when we start to dissociate the purpose of our work, the meaning of our work, and try to add something else to it, like, oh, I have to feel happy. That's not the purpose. You think Moses was very happy with his line of work? Comes down from the mountain, and they're running around naked, worshiping an idol. And he has to basically, he gets so mad, he makes them drink their idol. You know, Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. What does his work and such stuff? He had the hardest job of us all. I don't want to go to hell. And, it'd be, it, and, you know, he was more of a man than I am, i tell you that. Because <laughs> I, I do not want to go to hell, but he did it. That was a very hard job. John the Baptist, a lot of men in the Bible were beheaded because of their jobs. God told Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces. Ezekiel, God told him, I've made your face as an admin against theirs. There's a lot of hard work in the Bible. It's very hands-on. What I'm seeing today is a lot of people in the pastor, a lot of people in the ministry, they don't want the work, but they want the glory. They want the title. They want the name. They want the long robe. They want the phylacteries. They want to be called a men rabbi, but they don't want to do any work. It's like, I don't have any respect for you. It's just that simple. If you're not going to produce something with your ministry, if you're not going to produce something with your life, why should I respect you? Why would I tithe to your church? I'm not going to give my money to you. I'm giving my money here because I believe that this church is doing work for God. It's that simple. So in conclusion, did I have one more place I wanted to turn? I did. Oh, never mind. I already went there. But in conclusion, this year is a long year ahead. There's no telling what may happen. You know, uh, We've come through a long year. And as a matter of fact, today, I, I just didn't get announced, we did have someone saved today. You know? First salvation of the year on my brother's birthday. It's pretty cool. Uh, pastor comes back and our church gets someone saved. <laughs> it's really good. But there's a long year ahead of us. There's a lot of things that may happen. There's a lot of things that may not happen. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say you need to get your goals in line now. And don't change. Times will change. Government will change. Seasons will change. But you have to have goals in life. You have to have something you're trying to build. If you already have something you're building, keep doing it more. Get behind it. Get on a program. Start working. Get to work. Because we don't know when we're going to leave. We don't know when the triple eight. We don't know when the temple's going to start being built. 
We don't know when anything's going to happen. But one thing we do know, we do know the measure of our diligence. So get to work. As far as I have a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this evening, Lord. Um, just help us, Lord, to be diligent. Help us to have goals. Help us to go somewhere, Lord. We all here want to do something with our lives. You know, we don't want to just live. We read the Bible, Lord, every day. And we read about the great men, Abraham, Isaac, Moses. We read about Samson. We read about all these men who did great things. Jesus, Paul. We read about Stephen who was martyred. And it's like, these people were our examples and they were diligent. They did their word to the T, their work to the T. We want to do that as well. We want to go somewhere with our lives. We want to do great works for you, Lord. We want to have meaning in what we do. We want to do what we do with purpose. So, Lord, help us to work hard at what we do, Lord, and to realize it's, there's a bigger picture involved in what we do. Help us to have goals and to stick with them, to increase in our labor towards you, Lord. Thank you for the pastor being back. I'm so grateful to see him again and his family. I just pray that he's well. Bless us, Lord, as we depart. Help us all to get home safely. In Jesus' name, amen.